You're listening to On Human Rights, where we bring you interviews with experts from around the world on the latest issues affecting human rights and international humanitarian law. My name is Gabriel Stein. Thanks so much for listening. We're broadcasting from the Rao Wallenberg Institute of Human Rights in Lund, Sweden. Today, we're continuing our series on blockchain and human rights, and we're joined by Hanane Bushemi. She's a senior tech policy expert with more than a decade of experience in the economic and legal aspects of internet policy and governance. She's a co-chair of the Internet Rights and Principles Coalition at the United Nations, which works to uphold human rights on the internet. This interview is part of an ongoing series that we're having on the connection between blockchain and human rights. To listen to any of the previous episodes, please check out our website, www.rwi.lu.se. Click on News and go to Podcasts, and you'll find them all there. Hanan Bushemi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. You are the co-chair of Internet Rights and Principles Coalition at the UN. Tell me a bit about your work, what you do, and why it makes a difference. Um, the Global uh, Coalition on Internet Rights and Principles um, works on promoting uh, human rights and principles uh, on the internet. Um, it's um, specific to the work of the United Nations Internet Governance Forum. Uh, so do, we do have members from all around the world who are working on promoting um, what we uh, produced um, with a number of contributors from all around the world uh, who have legal background, lawyers, uh, legal students. Um, and we agreed on uh, publishing a booklet which uh, discusses in details from the legal perspective, the internet rights and principles that we kind of should all abide by as a society. And as a, a summary uh, of the booklet is the 10 principles that we've been promoting all around the world for the last uh, nine to ten years and it has been actually the reference point uh, to many legislators on how they can um, draft legislation specific to um, internet principles in the local context so the principles and the booklet have been used as a point of reference in uh, Italy in New Zealand and it's been referred to by many publications as a baseline of how human rights should be um, preserved or safeguarded online. But how does blockchain fit into that whole work? Right. Yeah, well, blockchain be um, more or less um, a new topic to the field, does not really relate directly to uh, my activities with the uh, Dynamic Coalition on Internet Rights and in principles of well, I happen to be advising different organizations on the topic um, from the policy uh, scope because of my experience. So I happen to be advising one of the new uh, products uh, that is blockchain based and it's called Boule. And it's um, a company which promotes e-voting using blockchain technology. I'm also uh, on the advisory board of the um, blockchain special interest group of Internet Society. So Internet Society is a global organization promoting um, access to the Internet at the global, you know, the global level. And they do have different chapters all around the world and special interest groups. So I happen to be sitting on the board of the group that is uh, concerned with blockchain. And why all this is happening is because I'm leading research at the moment, academic research on uh, governance structure 
uh, of blockchain and also the policy, legal and regulatory uh, challenges to blockchain deployment. You know, um, there is an intersection between all these issues and blockchain. And I think you probably heard how many uh, startups are racing, you know, to um, to produce ideas and see how can blockchain help different, you know, issues. Um, so yeah, so this this topic interests me uh, personally, and I've been doing research on it for the last year and a half. Um, and you know, I, maybe it's 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 a timely uh, decision to to focus on on this topic um, because it's emerging. It's upcoming and there are a lot of issues as i said earlier that have to be you know uh, tackled and from different angles so let's back up a bit how do you explain blockchain to people um when they've never heard it before and you're trying to get the idea across to them yeah sounds like the the key question you know like what is blockchain because most people when they hear blockchain maybe automatically they think of bitcoin or or, or maybe vice versa and that's recent up until very recently, there isn't there wasn't lots of talking about blockchain. You mostly hear Bitcoin, but blockchain is the inherent technology based on which Bitcoin is operating. Um, I think the simple way there is no simple way to to explain this to a non technical person, uh, but to the public it would be a ledger uh, where you can uh, log in most of or all you know the transactions of any assets you can think of so we don't focus only on money so blockchain is the inherent technology that is used to store transfer data or assets and there is no way you can change that at any point of the future um, so just to put it you know in in simple language to to the audience that's that's you know the the essence of it and i get the sense that when people say there's no way to change it in the future that all of a sudden people stop in their tracks and they say really is that is that really the case what about all this hacking we hear about yes so well blockchain uh, operates based on specific core features uh, which make which make it blockchain, um, and the way it is programmed, um, it's it's based on, on a code basically. Of course, uh, hacking is happening, and we can see how many people are being threatened. You know, to release their bitcoins, or you know, it's like it's like a, a trend at the moment. The point is um, is that you are able to store data. Um, in a transparent way um, and you can't change it, which means it's not immutable. So any asset that is hacked, for example, you still cannot change it because hacking is just stealing. It's like a thief. If they steal money, they can still use it to buy goods, but you know, the value doesn't change. Right. And so tell me why, um, going forward, are you going to be working with blockchain and thinking about it more and why is it important? I think as a concept, you know, the core concept in my view is it's very important because it fits into what the internet lacks at the moment. Because, you know, the internet brought a lot of people together, it connected the world, but there are so many gaps that the internet cannot 
basically cover. So there are security issues. Um, there are issues with 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 safety and and you know basically with blockchain you might be able to transfer assets information anything you know in the virtual network without necessarily knowing the other party and that puts a spin on all you know transactions as we know it today there is another concept uh, that we have to maybe be more interested in is how blockchain technology promotes decentralization as a concept. Because in my view, that is the added value of blockchain more than actually be it a platform where you cannot, um, you know, alter information or immutable. I mean, those core values are very important, but we have to look at the very um, specific concept of decentralization, looking at how the whole world now is uh, is engineered, there is always a need to have an authority in between to validate any kind of transfer of assets. And in my view, the dist distributed nature of how transactions are being um, confirmed on, on a blockchain and the decentralization concept it's a very important notion that we have to to look at vis-a-vis uh, -vis the current you know systems in place so i am trying to speak here in a in a more holistic way because i don't want to um, limit the discussion to talking about financial systems or land registries, for example, or any middleman as we know it. So we have to be able to think a little bit out of the box to get out from uh, the centralized systems we have in place at the moment. Can you, we're going to have to flesh that out a bit because um, I'm trying to take the beginner's mind here. So when we talk about the central authority, I mean, how does, how does the technology take away the central authority? Well, if we, if we speak, for example, about the role of, of banks and financial institutions in authenticating, authorizing um, money transfers, for example, if you use... Um, if you use a technology that could substitute the role of a bank, it might it might be worth it, you know, in, in the long term because you will um, probably remove um, a, a key player in, in how global financial system is working at the moment. Um, so to replace that with a technology might not be 100% a good thing you know in the short term but if we think of it as as an overall uh, strategy for the future it could be viable and, and viable in a sense is that you would um, you know avoid having a centralized authority to decide on transactions and to decide on the value of money and so on so you might you might be looking at a unified global financial system at any point in time in the future so, and that applies on everything else, you know, uh, it applies on, um, it won't omit probably the role of, for example, if you want to buy, sell a land, for example, you need to make sure that the land is registered and the land registry plays a key role, you know, in, in maintaining information in the recent history. But in so many countries around the world, the land registry, for example, does not exist. 
So it's very hard to prove uh, ownership of, of things, uh, be it a land, be it a house. If you have a ledger which includes all the transactions and uh, verifies um, everything, uh, you might be looking into omitting the role of a land registry. Um, so I am that enthusiastic about this technology to, to, to state that, but practically it might not happen. It might be just helping the land registry people to do their job better, um, which is good because then it will solve other issues. I mean, we have to think um, in the context of different countries because, you know, in, in the UK where I'm based or in Sweden, for example, um, the procedures are much more advanced. But if we think about developing a country context, uh, having a land re registry, for example, a physical one that is relying on on public sector and so on, you have a lot of risks, you know, from corruption to, uh, you know, the possibility to divert in um, property to other people. It's, there's a lot of risk. So I think having some kind of technology that will help us um, make sure there is a level uh, of accountability, um, it, it, it could help, it could help in, in different contexts. So I believe, I mean, the technology um, or, or uh, the plan of, of, of blockchain sounds great for a lot of uh, use, um, you know, cases, and it, it has to be applied according to the context where it's deployed. So it could serve for, for, for different reasons um, in, in, in different uh, contexts, in my view. When there's no central authority, though, um, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. So who, who regulates? Yeah, so, I mean, the regulation, um, the discussion about regulation when we have innovative solutions um, is probably a buzz killer. Uh, so when you have a technology that has a potential, we still don't know yet whether blockchain technology can really do what it says it will do. Regulation would be the first the first thing to, to think of because, you know, investors, uh, traditional institutions, they want to have uh, a, like a stable regulatory uh, system before investing in anything or before thinking of, of doing anything in, 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 a, in an economy. Uh, but when we're talking about technology, I believe we should have guide points of how regulation uh, works and how it applies to the existing uh, technologies that we're using nowadays. And the closest thing I, I can think of now is the internet. Same thing happened with the internet. When it was, you know, deployed initially, it was just a research tool, you know, that was used um, for military purposes in, in, in the 60s. But as the whole internet field, you know, evolved, it became it became basically the tool that we all use to do everything. Then regulators that just got a little bit, they were caught off guard because everything that we know we do was offline. Now the online world altered the perception about a lot of exchanges that we're having as human beings. And the regulator is equally challenged, you know, by the fact that most of the, you know, the exchanges we have over the internet cannot be regulated by offline law. So we're having similar, you know, discussion. And at the moment, 
I think it's too early to, to speak of regulating something that you don't know exactly what it will do in the future. And this is the hard thing. It's very easy to apply regulation on cases uh, that involves human rights, for example, breaches, and you know what everybody did, but it's very difficult to apply regulation on software that you actually don't know exactly what it will do in the future. It's, 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 it's very challenging to, to envisage any kind of laws that will actually uh, regulate block, blockchain at this point. But you can use the law as a guide point to predict certain challenges, and that's what I've written about. So there are already uh, certain policy challenges that we have to look at. Um, uh, that you know, blockchain technology promotes, uh, but it will uh, pose some kind of difficulty in terms of protecting certain rights. For example, I mean, I know that you want to talk about this uh, maybe later on about how a blockchain can be linked to human rights at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you you mentioned before that you're connected uh, with a voting uh, blockchain startup. Can you, yeah. Can can we talk about that a bit? Yeah. So uh, this product is basically trying to do um, exactly what I was talking about, like voting. Maybe it's straightforward in the UK or you know, and in, in different countries, but in other contexts, it's very difficult to, to get a genuine, you know, uh, genuine votes and make sure that everything is um, in place for a democratic setup, basically. So the point is to deploy a technology that will allow people to vote online ensuring obviously that it's transparent that there is no fiddling with it and, and so on uh, the product is not yet ready so it's following the same process of all the startups at the moment uh, using blockchain it's it's based on ethereum uh, i'm not sure if you know or you heard of ethereum it's a platform that allows you to um, to build your own smart contracts uh, using blockchain and can I, can I just ask you, um, what's a smart contract? <laughs> okay, well, a, a smart contract is not the opposite of dumb contracts. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that. It's just that uh, if you heard of blockchain, you probably heard of Bitcoin and Ethereum. So Bitcoin is, let's say, that, you know, maybe the, the most famous uh, cryptocurrency in the world now. And Ethereum is the second uh, biggest blockchain that exists after um, after uh, Bitcoin. So Ethereum is using um, what we call this 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 platform that is using smart contracts and that you can use yourself to 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 develop any product that you want. So the code is there and you can build on it to develop your own product that is meant to be a smart contract. It has different criteria. It has different, you know, core features that are obviously linked to blockchain as, as a technology. Um, I'm not sure to what extent you want me to explain, you know, the core features of blockchain because it's quite technical. But the good thing about Ethereum is that you can actually, um, it's like a layer. Um, it's a layer that you can use to build your own application. So simply, if you have any idea that you want to apply at the moment and you want to use 
blockchain, you know, to code it, you can use Ethereum as an application layer to do it. And okay. what a lot of companies are doing now, I'm sure you heard of the ICU craze, which is the initial um, coin offering. Yeah. So that all, all those companies are, I mean, most of them, the majority, I think, are using Ethereum as a platform to build their own applications. Blockchain, like you said before, is a shared ledger. You have these computers all around the world. So the nodes are all around the world. And when something is entered into the shared ledger, it produces a mathematical equation that all of these nodes need to solve. Something like that, yes. Not exactly. It depends. If you're talking about a public blockchain, that is the case. Because mind you, now there are a lot of companies like Kodak, I'm sure you heard of that case as well, that are developing their own you know, private blockchain. So yes. if you're dealing in a public blockchain, yes. Okay. That's the way it works, yeah. So in the public blockchain, um, they solve the mathematical equation. And that's something that happens, that's where the crypto aspect comes in, is that right? Well, the crypto aspect is always there. So um, the, the whole point about, you know, uh, these nodes competing to solve the cryptographic algorithm, you know, so they can actually, that, that's the mining process. So in Bitcoin, if you want to be the selected node to win a Bitcoin, because there are two aspects to it. You can either buy it, you can go to any exchange and buy a Bitcoin, or you can start mining it. It just takes a long time and you need to have a powerful computer and a lot of money to spend on electricity. So the point where your computer actually manages to solve the equation, you know, uh, then you kind of... Um, earn or win the Bitcoin. I might not be the best person, you know, to explain this, um, but I'm just trying to explain how I understand it myself. Okay. Once the mathematical equation um, is solved by the majority of the nodes, then it is officially, that transaction is officially set in stone in the shared ledger. It can never be changed. No, where actually the role of the other nodes is that they try to verify with you the transaction if it's you know correct or no. It's just a double check. So the, the process that you were describing to solve the mathematic or the algorithm you know uh, formula, if you want to say it, that is to mine. But uh, for, for the block to be added to the ledger, it has to be verified by all the nodes that are participating in the network. So, so the, first, the first node that solves the uh, equation, uh, then you have all the other nodes who verify that? That is that right, network. yes. So what you what you want that is the I think you're trying to get to into the process of mining um, a Bitcoin that that's 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 the process that you may be referring to. So if you want to start a, to start any blockchain, you need to have a Genesis block. So that is the start point. And then what you need to have, you need to build trust in that transaction to get people to approve it for you. So it has some kind of credibility. And that's the interesting part in, in blockchain, in my view, because the value of whatever asset you have does not hold a value because you say so, but because the network actually approves it for you. Mm -hmm. So as a node, you start a transaction and then you want other people, you know, to feed in into it 
So it builds credibility in the network because anybody can start a transaction. But the point is, who is going to join you into approving you know, the ledger so it gets the, the level of credibility needed by a network? Mm. So it becomes like the real thing. You know, you want people to buy into whatever you're having. So if you are mining Bitcoin, you are competing with a lot of nodes and your computer and your power is competing with a lot of other people because you want your reward. You want your reward as somebody who generally tried to contribute into mining this cryptocurrency. So the reward would be, you know, winning a Bitcoin only if there is a lot of ifs and buts, only if you are, you know, the one who first managed to resolve this crypto cryptographic, you know, formula. But in the, the blockchain always has a cryptographic formula. Yes, yes, yes. So, I mean, um, I think all the transactions are, are basically um, are based on, on cryptography. And hence is the point, like what the, the point that, that blockchains are secure is because they use cryptography. So the transactions are visible in the ledger which means there is transparency, but there is a notion of anonymity to it. So you really don't know who is behind the transaction. There is a way to know, but visibly, like when you check the ledger, that's part of being um, maybe um, one, of, one of the core features is that blockchain is transparent. So you can check all the, the, the transactions that are being filed, but you can't really know who is behind them. Last question on this front. So when, when we say blockchain, you, you mentioned public blockchain. Okay, well, well, a public blockchain would be something like Ethereum or Bitcoin, okay? A private blockchain would be a specific blockchain that is developed by a specific company. So, for example, Kodak, they decided to have their own cryptocurrency, but they also launched their own blockchain platform. So that is called a private blockchain. I think a lot of companies will try to have their own private service, you know, um, that can be built on, on their own blockchain. Okay. But when we talk about making transactions, it's not like there's one blockchain where different transactions for currency, different transactions <laughs> for land rights, different transactions for no. um, dating. They're all on this big blockchain. They're separate blockchains. Yeah, there were, no, there will be separate blockchains, obviously, yes. And yeah. for each one of those, there'll be separate infrastructures and separate nodes and separate miners. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think that the notion of, of mining is maybe not relevant, in my view, at least. Huh? In my personal view, the notion of mining is not relevant to, to private blockchains because the way you will look at this is that you want to deploy a private blockchain because you want to increase your efficiency as a company or as an institution. For example, the technology is already being explored by banks, for example. So if a specific bank decides to launch its own blockchain, it, it has to be private. It's not gonna, it's not gonna be um, meaning you have to mine um, you know, currency. I don't think so. Because you know what? Every country can just print money. They don't need to create it. They just need to print it. So the economic model of having a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin is completely different, you know, from how from, from from the notion of money as we know it. So the mining process will be only specific, in my view, to Bitcoin because you really have to mine it to create it. 
we really went deep there, but I, I think we had to a little bit. And well, I think you wanted to understand um, to understand basically the details, the nitty gritty details of of blockchain. But the the starting point for me, at least, you know, to have a discussion about those kind of um, details is to read a lot about the core features because it's not something that can be actually covered um, in an answer, you know, of of a question. Uh, and it can also get complicated. This is something that I came across myself. You know, when I was researching the topic, it's extremely difficult to find a preset definition which will literally explain blockchain to you because you end up bumping <laughs> into a lot of information. It becomes very confusing. Mm. And I, I, I see how it can be really confusing to, to think of blockchain as this huge pool, you know, of, of transactions where everything mixes but it's not the case no um, that would be too easy yeah that would be too easy so we have to think of blockchain as a concept and yeah. that's why when we discuss it now we discuss it more or less as you know uh, as an idea but it doesn't mean there is uh, one size to fit all uh, it can't it can't really function in that way and we can't have a blanket policy either to cover all the products that are powered by this technology. Um, and that's why I personally, as I said earlier, see the value more in the concept of decentralization. How are we gonna look at it? What are the, the legal challenges? What are the regulatory challenges? How are we gonna apply it You know, uh, in reality? Because mind you, at the moment, there is a lot of hype about blockchain, but there is very little proof that it's going to work, which means most of the ideas that we have there are still at the stage of proof of concept. And we really don't know yet whether it's going to be practical if we're going to deploy, you know, at a larger scale. Right. So the promise is to do something, but we still really don't know whether it's going to work or not. <laughs> so um, early, so early days. It is very early indeed, and um, uh, as I said, I mean it's it's very uh, difficult to just summarize everything and say, okay, from this question I can get an answer that will clarify everything. Because no, you're going to end up, you know, diving into another section um, of of the whole topic. Uh, but clearly, I have to do more homework, and maybe uh, our, our <laughs> yeah. listeners can also. You know, it is very fascinating, actually. You know, I think the, um, the, the as I said, the, the whole notion of how, for example, Bitcoin is, is, is very intriguing for a lot of people because they don't know really how it works. So it's very important to, to understand that. And um, I think to target a wide audience about this topic, it needs to be more uh, simplified uh, in a story or something like that. And I think BBC did actually a very good program about this, if I remember well. If I find a video, I'll send it to you to explain in simple terms um, how, you know, the whole mining operation works. Great, thanks. Um, uh, let's do one more question and then we'll wrap it up. So going forward, what do you think we're going to be looking at and dealing with in the next, say, five years when it comes to these issues? And what applications do you think um, are really going to start to make a difference when it comes to the field of human rights sooner than later? I think the prospect for next five years is for the technology to prove itself. That is something, um, you know, there is a lot of hype. Uh, about blockchain and I think there is a need for uh, the people behind the technology to to prove that it's going to work for everybody. In terms of products there are very good ideas around there 
is just to what extent they will be applicable. So I'm a little bit skeptical about the uh, scalability of, of uh, certain products. Um, but also there are products that I don't think should be there because they jeopardize um, you know, uh, human rights or they, they don't consider a lot of um, maybe uh, repercussions that they can cause. I'm not sure if you heard of um, an application to actually record the IDs of minority groups. I think that would be definitely something that will require a lot of maybe legal uh, expertise to do because the risk of including IDs of people in in, in a ledger simply infringes on, on, on many uh, rights as we know them, uh, especially privacy. There are issues like that we can't really overcome just by uh, deploying blockchain. So uh, namely political conflicts like the Rohingya uh, groups uh, were actually, there was an idea to actually put all the people on a ledger. And I think that will be really uh, disturbing. Uh, it, it would be disturbing if we decide to do something like that because that will, that, that will make actually uh, these people uh, an easy target. At the moment, they're in the phase of extermination, and I don't think we need to put them all on a ledger to trace them. It's just uh, wrong, in my view. Um, I think blockchain will be definitely uh, useful, as I said earlier, to uh, try as much as possible to remove the middleman. Um, in specific contexts, it will probably be one of uh, the most interesting technological developments because. In developing countries where the level of corruption is very high, it can, you know, play a key role in in um, in mitigating, um, you know, corruption in in many countries. So, to have that positive outlook, uh, it's it's great. But then we we are at the stage now where we really need to know how you know the concept of blockchain will be applied in in a practical sense. At the moment, unfortunately, there are a lot of ideas out there, and as I said, there are, there are a lot of proof of concepts, but we still don't know whether you know these ideas would be applicable in reality. So the next five years will be uh, maybe kind of it's it's a crucial you know uh, phase uh, where this technology this technology needs to prove itself, in my personal opinion. For the next five years, we'll connect with you once a year and find out where the developments have led so you can walk us through the stages here. Does that sound yes, okay? Absolutely. Well, I hope I was, you know, helpful and useful in explaining maybe or clarifying cert certain, you know, questions that you had. Maybe I wasn't, you know, the best person to, to give uh, an overview on, on on, on a lot of tech, technical concepts, but I'll be happy, you know, to uh, contribute to your podcast in the future. And I think, I think he, he, it's, it's a really great start to what, what it could be, you know, the next uh, best thing. So thank you very much for the time. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. That was Hanane Bushemi, a senior tech policy expert with more than a decade of experience in the economic and legal aspects of internet policy and governance. You are listening to On Human Rights, brought to you from the Raoul Wallenberg Institute of Human Rights and Humanitarian Law in Lund, Sweden. Thanks for taking the time to listen to us. My name is Gabriel Stein. 
We'll be back soon with more interviews with experts from around the world on the latest issues affecting human rights and international humanitarian law.